0: If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, if you'd be kind enough to share your Bible with them and help them find their place, that'd be a blessing. First Thessalonians 5. We're just going to look at two verses tonight. And in this Bible study, we're gonna look at we're gonna look at a lot, a lot of verses here, and I hope it clears up maybe some misunderstandings. Some of you come from other church backgrounds and probably have never been taught this before. And some of you have been in church, and never been taught this. I feel a little awkward teaching it, to be honest with you, but I, I feel it needs to be taught, needs to be reinforced. And if you're a Sunday school teacher in any capacity, I want you to take the material that we have tonight, and uh, I'd like you to help me reiterate this and encourage this in our church. And I'm not just looking at where we're at today, I'm looking years down the pipeline that we have the right doctrine, right understanding of these things and as we've said in our st- series that we started here in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians that it just covers about every major doctrine scripture that's very, very helpful to us. All right, notice verses 12 and 13. It's just two verses. i like you to read those with me. If you have a King James Version of the Bible, that's what you want to be reading from. If you don't have a King James Version, close it and look at somebody who has one, amen? And you want to be reading only on the King James Version. That's the only version we use in, this, in, the, in the church here. And I've noticed that sometimes people leave their Bibles behind. they visitors and guests, I think. And sometimes I pick one up and it's an NIV and that's not the right translation you have in church here and we're going to help you with that this summer we're going to have a uh, session here that's going to help you understand why the King James Version and why we believe is God's preserved word in the English language will help you there let's read together verse 12 and 13 please are you there say amen all together and we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we're going to break up some words and phrases tonight in this Bible study, but I've entitled tonight's message, Shepherds and Sheep. Shepherds and sheep. And we just want to see what the word of God has to say about that. So, And the end goal, if you'll notice here in verse 13, is that we have a harmonious church. We have a church that is at peace among themselves. And we'll talk about some of the issues that they faced back in the first century churches that we don't want to find ourselves in. We want to find ourselves in harmony with God harmony with his word, and striving together for the faith of the gospel. Bless your word tonight. Use it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now tonight, we want to see what the Bible has to say about the role of the congregation or the relationship of a congregation, of a biblical congregation, with its pastor. We want to understand some things about what is the role of the pastor. We want to look at tonight at, at, at uh, you know, what is the correct model. There's some models out there that say that churches should be, uh, be equal rule, and others that say they should be pastorally led, and some that teach that women can be pastors. I mean, a number of these things, and we're not going to be able to give full sermons on all these, but we're going to look at scriptures to give you enough ammunition so you know what the Bible says there. So tonight, we want to look at the role of the congregation and the pastor, how they work together, how they must be symbiotic in their relationship and working together and serving the Lord Jesus Christ and advancing the cause of Christ. How many believe tonight that the church is bigger than you and me, amen? And how many believe tonight that as we consider the role of the pastor and the congregation, we must take into account that the chief shepherd of every church is Jesus Christ, amen? He's the chief shepherd and bishop of every soul. He's the great shepherd of the sheep who through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that was his shed blood, makes us perfect and complete to do all the will of God, Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now, as we look at number one, the role, I want you to understand with me some foundational principles before we break this down. And I don't know if these are in your notes, but I want you to notice, uh, I want you to consider with me some foundational principles. You might have to fill these in as we look at the role. First of all, the Bible teaches that churches are to be pastorally led. Churches are to be pastor led. This, this does not mean staff led. This does not mean deacon led. This does not mean department led. This does not mean committee led. This does not mean organization some kind of other organizational attempt. God designed that the local New Testament church is to be pastorally led. Go with me over to the book of Revelation with me tonight. And I will give you one of several instances of this. But notice Revelations 2 and 3. Please turn there. We're gonna look at a lot of scriptures tonight. You're going to help find out if you're new to the faith, you're a new believer, you're going to find out where the books of the Bible are, amen? You're going to learn really quickly. We're all 66 ready, even though we're not going to look at all 66. But notice here, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is addressing seven distinct churches during the first century. And uh, he refers to them as golden candlesticks. And that's just a great uh, illustration for us to think about, that God sees every church as a golden candlestick in a place of darkness. And notice beginning in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, he says unto the angel of the church at Ephesus. Now the angel of the church at Ephesus is not metaphorically talking about a literal angel. He's talking about the pastor of the church. The word angel is also translated the word messenger. You might want to write that down. It means a messenger. Angels are messengers of God. And so God is writing here to these seven churches that are found in, 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 in uh, Revelation 2 and 3. He refers to them as messengers unto the angel of the church at Ephesus. Now, I believe as I read this verse of Scripture, and you cannot prove any otherwise, that he's talking to one man who is the pastor of that church. And we'll say some things about that. Go down a little bit further. Notice in verse 8, he says in chapter 2, verse 8, unto the angel of the church at Smyrna, the church of Smyrna. Now, by the way, let me just say this. I believe that these churches that are referred to here, that are, that are in this area called Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, that is be, they're being redressed here, I believe all those churches were started at the time. Paul was ministering down to the church at Ephesus. The Bible says that the Word of God spread throughout all of Asia in a two-year period of time. I'm, in my heart of hearts, I believe, as I study the Scriptures, that these churches were started there. People, men got fired up about the gospel, and they went there and started churches there. Notice we see in Smyrna, there was a pastor. This church was a, was a pastorally-led church. Notice in verse 12. The Bible says, unto the angel of the church in Pergamos. Right. There was a pastorally led church in Pergamos. And we can go on and on and on. Notice chapter 3, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church at Sardis, he writes. He's talking about a pastorally led church at Sardis. We go down to verse 7 of chapter 3. Unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia. He's talking about a church that was led by a pastor in Philadelphia. And then we go down a little bit further in verse 14. Unto the angel of the church at Laodicea. Right. These were churches led by pastors. You go to the book of Colossians. As Paul writes to the, the Colossian church. I believe a man that was there that, that was named Epaphras was the pastor at the church in Colossae. There's many things that lead us to believe he was the pastor there. And I think as we look over in Philippians chapter 2, I believe this man by the name of Epaphroditus <coughs> Epaphroditus was the pastor For a period of time, there at the church, there at Philippi. So we can see that over and over again. My thought I want to give you tonight is that the Bible teaches that churches are to be pastor-led. Now, let me give you a thought here. I want you to go with me to 3 John, 3 John chapter 1. There's only one chapter, 3 John chapter 1. And I say this because we find an instance, at least maybe one of two instances, where there was someone who tried to subvert the leadership of the pastor who was supposed to be leading that church there. And we're going to look at this for a moment, but go with me to 3 John. And that's uh, right right before the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. And go with me to verses 9 and 10. Say amen if you're there, because if you sneeze, you might miss it. Say amen if you're there. Okay, if you don't say amen, we're not going home. We're going to preach all night. I can preach all night tonight. Amen? Okay, verse 9. He said this, I wrote unto the church. What church? The church at Ephesus. John was the pastor at the time. He was ninety years old. I wrote into the church, I wrote into the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he, do, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and cast them out of the church. Now, here's what happened John was, was away from the church at Ephesus, he was writing to them. And this man rose up as there's, there's three primary principal, uh, principal per, uh, personalities that are mentioned in 3 John, a man by the name of Gaius who is known for his hospitality and, and, his, and his just his generous giving, and another one by the name of Demetrius, and this man by the name of Diotrephes. Now Diotrephes may have been, some believe that he may have been a deacon in the church or he may have been a very strong personality that, that was used of God at one time to help trying to spur things forward, but this man got to a place where he became very power hungry and he wanted to be in control, he was a very controlling individual. Individual. And the Bible describes him in verse 9 as a man who loved to have the preeminence among them. In other words, he subverted the responsibilities, he subverted the role and the place of the pastor, and based in doing so, he led in opposition, and he was against the Apostle John, he was against apostolic authority, he was against pastoral authority. In fact, the Bible describes it this way, John said, he was praying against us with malicious words, and he would not receive the brethren or others who came to that church. Now, I, I put that there so we can understand, you know, we, we're looking at the church today, it's a pastorally led church, Church. But there may become a time where there may you might have a vacuum in the church, and there may be a place, a time when the church is going to be looking at a new pastor. You better be very, very careful. Strong personalities in the church, and you better be very, very careful that for power plays that happen. By the way, even when Jesus was in at the latter stage of his of his ministry, there there was a power play happening among the disciples, among his apostles. There in Matthew chapter twenty, those are real things. Strong personalities like to exert themselves and prove themselves and things like that. And I'm just saying tonight that the Bible teaches churches are to be pastorally led. Second, we're still talking about foundational principles. Secondly, we believe that the Bible teaches a primary lead pastor and not equal elder rule. A primary lead pastor, not equal to rule. Now, equal to rule is is basically saying this, that we have 10 pastors, or whatever the number may be, and they're all the same in capacity. One may be a teaching pastor, one may be an administrative pastor, but they're all equal in rule. We don't have one that makes major decisions. Now, as we read the book of Revelation, we study the, the beginning here of the, the unfolding of the role of the pastor, we don't, I don't find anything that gives any inference there of an equal to rule. Now, let me just tell you, wherever you read about that model, predominantly you find it in Protestant churches and predominantly you find it there in Presbyterian churches. Now, I understand where they're coming from. Many of those churches pro- that have gone that way got the way because they got burned by what we call author- authoritarian, uh, authoritarian leadership. Authoritarian leadership is where the pastor makes all the rules, makes all the decisions. Nobody says it's a dictatorial that he has there, and there's a difference from authoritarian rule and authoritative rule. Now, we believe in authoritative rule, which is what the Bible teaches, okay? But what, what happens there is these, there was a period of time where a number of churches, there was, there was incredible uh, abusive behavior by these pastors where immoral behavior happened, and they were very controlling, manipulative, and so some of these churches, just to kind of circumvent that problem, they got away from the Bible and the rules that the Bible gives, and the Bible tells us what to do in those things, and instead they said, well, this will balance out the power. Why? I can tell you there's been churches where there's been equal elder rule, and they've had the same problems. Okay, and I'm not going to name them tonight, but they've had those same problems. And they're mega churches that have done those kind of things. I'm just saying to you tonight, we believe the Bible teaches there is a primary lead pastor and not equal elder rule. Now, why is that important? Because as we go along over time, we we may ordain men to the ministry. We ordain men to serve here in the ministry. We ordain them so they can be an asset to the pastor and to the church for baptism, for funerals, officiating those type of things. Now they can be an asset to the church. Maybe as we start, maybe satellite churches, and maybe one of them will go out and be the lead for that particular church and that extension there, which we're studying some models right now and some opportunities right now. We hope that God will lead us to. And so we want those men ordained so they have that, uh, that, they have that vested authority that's by God. They've been set apart for the gospel ministry. But even when we do that with staff, it is not an equal elder rule. There's still a primary lead pastor that leads the church in its capacity. Thirdly, would you write this down? We believe that pastors must meet the character qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and Titus 1, verses 6 to 9. Now, I don't have time to break that out. That is probably two lessons by itself. When I'm in foreign countries, I spend a lot of time in helping men, men understand them because they don't understand them. Men and women understand them. But let me just say tonight, we believe that pastors must meet the character qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3, verse, 3 verses 1 to 7, and Titus 1, verses 6 to 9. Now let me give you just a thought here or just that, that we need to understand in this day and age, and I'll just give an example maybe if I have time. A pastor must be the husband of one wife, and that is a, that is a key Key criteria there. He cannot be a pastor if he's divorced or if he has a spouse that has been divorced. I was asked uh, years ago to, to preach for a pastor. It was a good friend of mine. that asked me to go preach for a man, help them raise some money in another state. And I was glad to do it. And got to know the man very well and so forth there. And then I, I was telling my friend uh, several months later, I said, hey, you know, by the way, you asked this guy to call me. And, and uh, you know, kind of checked him out. And the church is really on fire for God, doing great things and so forth so forth there. And you guys would not know who I'm talking about. So don't worry about it. Don't even scratch your head thinking because you don't know who this is. But, but anyway, I, I, he, my friend said to me, Yeah, I'm glad you went to preach for him. I couldn't preach for him. I said, What do you mean you couldn't preach for him? He said, Well, he's been divorced. I said, He's been divorced. Why did you ask me to preach for him then, you know? And I said, Because I would not preach for someone like that, too, because that defies, that's disobedient to the biblical admonition. Now, a, a pastor must be the husband of one wife. He cannot be married. He cannot be married and divorced or be a divorced man and stay in the pulpit or stay as a pastor. And he shouldn't have a, a spouse that's divorced. Now, if you think that's strong, you need to go over to the book of Leviticus and understand the book of Leviticus, it was so strong about the office of priesthood. it it made it even narrower than that in terms of the kind of wife that a priest could have that may be a subject another time when i get over to preaching to the book of leviticus now why is that because god has a moral standard for his church not only does God have a moral standard for his church he wants a right example for the body of Christ to follow there God's not against divorced people God loves divorced people churches have divorced people and we love and we minister to them but I'm just saying tonight we have to understand from the office of pastor God has a much higher benchmark a much higher criteria that we must follow then I want you to understand something else women are not sanctioned by God to be pastors or teachers of men or to be co-pastors of churches amen oh you guys don't believe that do you Let me say that again. Women are not sanctioned by God to be pastors, co-pastors, or teachers of men. Go with me to 1 Timothy. That looks, you guys, a lot of you guys don't know what I'm talking about there. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, please. Notice what Paul says here. He says here in verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then then, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman is being deceived, and was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she should be saved in childbearing, and if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. All the Bible's saying there is that that women are not God did not designate in the in the in, in the order of things that women would be pastor Churches now women could be very good teachers. I'll be honest with you. I've heard some women speak. I think there's some women they're better better speakers than men sometimes. In some cases, they met but they're not. They're not designed to be a pastor. Now, if you're watching, if you're watching this stuff on TV and you see Joyce Myers up there and she's the pastor, of whatever television show, she's not a biblical pastor. She's disqualified because she does. That's not following the Word of God. That doesn't mean women can't teach children. That doesn't mean women can't teach other women and be in that proper role. But God is designated here that the men are to take the lead. Now, let me just say this tonight, men. I realize we're in a, we're in a society where the role of men seems to be declining. There's more of a femininity essence uh, uh, emphasis than there's a masculine. But let me say tonight. We are a biblical church. We're a Baptist church. I'm going to just say, men, men, you ought to rise up to the occasion. and realize tonight, men need to set the leadership for the church. Amen? So that's why we have men's barbecues and things like that there, okay? I'm just saying tonight, and this has nothing to do with women. It's just saying how God has the leadership role in these. Now, why am I saying that? Because if you're not very careful, you're going to watch all this stuff that's going on in Christianity, and you got Pastor Joe, Joe Cool over here, and he's got Mrs. Cool over here, who happens to be the co-pastor of the church. That is not biblical. That is not a model that the God got sanctioned or blessed. With. You say, well, look at their growth. Growth is not, listen, growth is not the goal of the church. God is the goal of the church. We have to understand tonight that the goal of the church is to be more like Jesus Christ. The goal of the church, now we want numbers because numbers represent people and so That's an important thing. But growth is not the goal. Jesus Christ is the goal of every church here. Now let me say this tonight too. Romans 16 in many uh, uh, different non-English translations talks about Phoebe. Okay? Now Phoebe is a true servant in the church at Centria. But in some cases, some uh, go, go outside the Scripture and teach that Phoebe was a pastor, so therefore, or, or, or that it, because the word that's used for servant is the same word that's used for deacon. It's the word diakonos. So some would teach that she, was a, that she was a woman pastor. That's not what Paul was commending her for. She was not a woman pastor. That is totally taking the Scripture out of context. In fact, if you look at the context of everything in Romans 16, Paul is commending all these men and women that were helpers with him in the Lord. In fact, he talked about them. They, he said they helped much in the Lord and things in that context there. Now, another thing to, be, to just take note here, some will take that verse about Phoebe and say that, well, therefore, uh, the Bible sanctions that women should be deacons. God did not sanction that either. Women are not deacons. There are no such thing as deaconesses in the Bible. Now, I'm not being discriminatory. I'm not beating up on women anything of like that. I'm just telling you what God says there. By the way, God did not sanction men to be mothers. I don't care what's going on, this, this junk that's going on in the media, today, God did not make men to be mothers. He made women to be mothers. Okay? So I'm just saying tonight, as we consider the Scriptures, we need to have those foundational, foundational understanding there, okay? Now, that's very quick. If you have more questions, come see me on the, on the side. I'll help you with that. Now, let's look at the role of the pastor. Number one, Acts 20:28. 20, Would you turn there, please? Letter A, Acts 20:28. 20, no, letter A, what is the role? It's an appointed role. <clears throat> it's an appointed role. Look what it says in Acts 20, 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. Notice this phrase. Over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Sometimes they get asked, who put you in charge? The Holy Ghost put me in charge. The Holy Ghost put the man in charge. Whoever God put in that place, he put him in charge. I didn't like that. I didn't like how the vote turned out. Too bad. God put him in charge. I don't like Mike Norris' pastor over there at Franklin Road Baptist. That's your problem. God put him in charge here. Well, I'm not sure if I like the fact that Jeff Jeff Ollensbach got voted by the church to take Mike Edwards' place there at Heritage Baptist Church over in Virginia. That's your problem. God put that man there. And by the way, he's proven himself very faithful in that role, in that capacity. I'm just saying tonight, that is a role, that is an appointed role where God put that man there. Pastors have been made overseers by the Holy Ghost. They have no say in that. That's God saying that. His authority is from God. That's why when you read 1 Timothy 1.12, if you, if you read that, Paul says this to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The context here that is it goes from Paul to Timothy is that God put him in there. God put the man there. It's an appointed role. The Lord places the man where he is to labor. Letter B, what you notice is it is not only an appointed role, it is an authoritative role. Now I said something earlier. There is a difference from authoritarian and authoritative now authoritative coincides with the word we're going to look at tonight i want you to notice several verses with me tonight they, i'm hoping that they're already in your notes acts twenty twenty eight. 28 take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the holy ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of god which he's purchased with his own blood now i want you to notice several things here notice the word overseers and please circle that in Acts twenty twenty eight, as well as in 1 Peter 5, we see a minimum of three important words that describe the role of the pastor. One of these words is the word overseer. It's the word episkopos. We get our word bishop from that. Now, sometimes you read about uh, some church out there, and the and the man does not want to be called pastor; he has to be bishop, whatever it may be. Okay. Now, the word bishop. Now, we just like using the word pastor because I think it, it's just it's, it's it's a more meaningful word. But the word bishop basically means the overseer. It means the, the the leader over an appointed congregation of God. So notice here in verse 28, the word overseer refers to the fact he's to take full responsibility. It means he has authority, he has charge, he has oversight in all aspects. Of of the work of God, primarily if you would to feed the church of God. So you notice it talks about the word overshadow. I'll come back to these word definitions in a minute. Notice Romans chapter 12, verse 8b. In the middle of Romans Romans 12, in the middle of verse 8, it says, he talked about spiritual gifts and what we're to do with those spiritual gifts. And he says, he that ruleth with diligence. Now, if you get to study the word there, the word ruleth coincides with the leadership of the pastor. It's saying pastors need to work, they need to lead with diligence. They need to lead with, with exhortation. They need to work hard. Listen, if God relocates you somewhere, and I pray he doesn't. We've already had three three families get relocated this month here. But if God relocates you somewhere, you need to find a church where the pastor's hardworking. You need to find someone who's committed himself to the ministry of the word. He's preaching the word. He's out so when he's doing the work of the ministry. That doesn't mean he's doing everything. By the way, pastors are not supposed to do everything. Pastors are supposed to equip the congregation to help get the work done. Otherwise, the congregation cannot touch its community for the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? But the pastor needs to be hardworking. He needs to give himself to the ministry. That's what the word addicted means. He needs to be completely given to the ministry. That's why Paul told Timothy, give thyself wholly to that. You know, because we need to give ourselves wholly to that. So notice he must rule with diligence. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. The word oversight, overseer, episcopos, bishop. And this idea, authoritative leadership. Now I mentioned that there's certain words that are found here. We find, the word, we find the word overseer or episkopos, which speaks about the leadership of the pastoral row. We notice the word feed. Do you see the word feed there? Feed the flock of God in 1 Peter 5. What you notice is the same phrase that's used over there in Acts 20, 28 to feed the church of God. Now it's one complete word. It's the word poimano. Poimano is where we get our word shepherd. In fact, wherever you find that, you're going to find where it references pastors. If you find, even find the word pastor, it's always in reference to pastoring. That's why we like to use the word pastoring because it refers to shepherding and sheep there, okay? So we have that. There's a, there's a third word that we'll find here uh, also here too. And that's, that, that's the... the um, let me see here. We feed the flock of God. Uh, there's another word that you'll find here in verse 1, 1 Peter 5. 1 is the word elder. And elder refers to maturity of the man. The man must be a, a spiritually mature man, and probably mature also physically there and, in terms of just his experiences there. And uh, that word is used. That's the word presbyteros. It talks about a mature man. We find over in, in Ephesians that the phrase is used in Ephesians 4.12, pastors and teachers. And actually in the original language is one phrase, pastor, teacher, where he's to be a, a teacher of the word of God. And of course we know that that pastors must be preachers of the Word of God. We find the word kirux being used, and we'll see a little bit more of that. The key word I want you to understand is authoritative. It's the idea that he's to take the oversight thereof. He's to exercise oversight over all the ministries. He's to get accounting of the ministry, to know what goes on there about the state of the flock of God. Now notice the third thing. We see that it's an appointed role, an authoritative role. But you notice, Hebrews 13, 17, it's an accountable role. Now, Hebrews 13, 17 says something right there that is very, uh, it's very humbling and it's a very frightening for a phrase if you look at it from that, from that perspective. He says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Now, he says that they must give account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is improper for you. I mean, the key phrase I want you to understand is pastors are going to have to give account for every one of the sheep. Pastors have to give an account for the flock of God. They have to take an account, why did this person not serve? Why was this person unrepentant? Why did this person have an attitude problem? Why was this, uh, on the other hand, praise the Lord, this person was excited for God. They did what they were supposed to do, and they are living for Christ, and and they were bringing people to church, and winning souls to Christ, and they are walking in the Spirit and living for God. I mean, as we understand the role, it's an accountable role. Listen, any pastor worth his salt understands that the responsibility of the ministry is one. He's accountable for every single soul. That means from the nursery all the way up to the nursing home. So number one, we see the role of the pastor very quickly. But you notice the responsibilities of the pastor. You see, why are we going over this? Because it's found in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 and 13. Because as we'll see tonight, it talks about our relationship together. Why do you need to know this? Because you need to know how to pray. What are the responsibilities? Now I want to summarize in four areas tonight, and we'll try to do our best to cover what those areas are. Number one, they're the pulpit responsibilities. Notice Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. Now, I love Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, because it gives us good understanding as to why God gave certain spiritual gifts. And he says he gave some apostles, and we no longer have apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, the English translators put pastor and teachers, but really it's one word. It's connecting to the same. It means pastor, teacher. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There's the pulpit ministry. The primary responsibility is a lot of things pastors do. The primary responsibility is just like tonight, what we're doing here, is to get, get the word of God to God's people, to feed the flock of God. Hey, there are going to be messages that sound very simple, but you know we're to come with the spirit of meekness to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save souls. You know what I've come to appreciate? I just love simple messages. I, I, I'll go out sometimes, and the preacher, I might know him. He'll say, would you like to preach for me? And I said, I didn't come to preach for you. I came to have you preach to me. And sometimes the preacher might bring a Sunday school lesson in the first hour. In the second hour, he'll bring a message. And I tell you, it speaks to my soul. I'm thankful for it. And there may be just one thought or scripture verse he reads that speaks to me. I'm just thankful for that. And then there are other times we're going to get into, we're going to get into maybe a Sunday night study or maybe Wednesday study. We're going to get a little bit deeper into the Word. We unlock it there. But whatever it may be, we're to labor in the Word. We're to get into the Word of God. We're to feed our souls. We're to grow in the Word of grace. Listen, if you're really truly saved, you want to be under the Word of God. Amen? You're truly saved. You really are on fire for God. You want more of the word of God, not less of the word of God there. So we see this, this, this need here for shepherding and feeding. That's why Paul told the pastors at, at, at Ephesus, feed the flock of God. Feed the church of God there. Peter said, feed the flock of God. Now, feeding is through teaching. Feeding is through preaching. Notice 2 Timothy 4, because Paul wrote to Timothy, his protege in the faith. He said, Timothy, and now I, he said in chapter 1, you need to stir up the gift that's in you. And the gift he was talking about is the gift of preaching. You're doing less preaching and not more preaching. He says, you got to get back into more preaching here. And then as he got to chapter 4, he just charged him. Look what he said here. I charge you, therefore, before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, that means the living, and the dead, at his appearing, and his kingdom. And he talked about accountability here. Notice when he says preach the word, and then notice there's a semicolon there. He said preach the word. He said, now Timothy, regardless if your congregation is growing, or your congregation is declining, whether your congregation is happy, or your congregation is hurting, whether or not you have persecution, or whether or not you are at peace, whatever it may be, you need to preach the word. Now listen, it's very simple for church. we got in this place right now we're kind of like the entertainment society. We've got to come up with these catchy things. And I'm not against this. This is fine. And I think we need to do some of this. We have to come up with catchy things and like that. But I remember the day, and I'm not saying we're going back to the old school days. But I remember the day people came to church. They didn't worry about what the series was. They came to church because they wanted the word of God. Now, if you've gone to place, you only come because you want to know what the topic is. You're out of fellowship with God. Your soul is not hungry for God's word. You need to come to church with the attitude, it doesn't matter what the series is, as long as the Word of God being preached, and I know faithfully and reliably the Word of God is being preached, I'm going to be there for church, amen? So I'm saying tonight, he said, preach the Word. He didn't say preach a series, even though series are good. He said, preach the Word. And by the way, he had all the Old Testament. He said, preach all the Old Testament. And he had first and second Thessalonians by the time he said, preach that, amen. He said, preach the word. He said, be instant in season out of season. You gotta be ready to preach. You gotta have the word of God in your hand. You gotta be ready to go at any time. Notice. Now, sometimes it little irks me. Somebody says, Well, you know, Pastor, give me a little more time and I'll be ready. Listen, be instant in season, not a season, especially if you're called to preach. He says, Now this is preaching. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, I like that because we have a, we have a generation of preachers in this, the, the, we're coming out of the 20th century and 21st century. A lot of them like to get into just preaching away, but there wasn't a lot of doctrine. Listen, you're not going to build a healthy congregation if you don't have doctrine. By the way, you're not going to build a holy congregation if you don't have preaching. And so he says here that there must be uh, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. He says, notice this, and we're in this time, verse 3. Notice verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're living in that age right now. While we're sitting here, I've got several of our men right now, some of our deacons over there reviewing a, 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 a lesson plan that I'm going to be cycling a number of you through on this here about what's going on with this gospel coalition movement that's out there, this hyper-grace movement stuff going out there, this neo-Calvinism stuff that's going out there. It is catching like wildfire right again there. This Calvinism thing is coming back full circle. This hyper-grace attitude that Charles Swindoll started back in the 90s is back here full circle again. And now it's attaching something. I mean, we're at a place, I think you've heard me say this, we're at a place where people are now saying, "Well, because I got saved and all my, my sins are under the blood, I don't have to ask for forgiveness of my sins anymore." Well, then all of a sudden they say I don't need to apply First John one nine. That is wrong because First John one First John talks about talks starts out by this, "My little children," Well, my little children is talking to believers, is it not? And he says here, "If we confess our sins, to him." It's talking about the fact that we must confess our sins, and the whole context here is that we will sin, and we must be in fellowship with God. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves ourselves in the truth as none is i'm just saying tonight we have to be in a place of understanding the word of god don't get off on trend stay with the truth amen don't get up on fast. Stay in the fundamentals of the word of God there. And so he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed themselves teachers. And that's what's going on right now. Teachers having itching ears. Now, let me tell you this tonight. I'm not going to name places up, but we've got a group that group that's coming here in the Bay Area right now. And they're out there with this. I don't, They're not even new evangelicals. I don't know what, what you classify there. But they've got this hyper-grace stuff and all these other things out there. And they've taken, they don't have Baptists. The majority of them were trained in Baptist Bible college. They took Baptists off their name and they're done. They're Mr. Joe Ku and Sister Joe Ku, And not long after this, I'm, I'm imagining they're going to have Pastor So-and-So and his wife will be the co-pastor. And they're out here in our in our neck of the woods here. They're out advocating their, their cool church and their cool doctrine and reaching people, hurting all these kind of things. Let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to get out there, and they're not going to call sin, sin. And they're not going to define what the Word of God, they're going to dance around the difficult subjects of the Word of God there. And they're just going to stay on love and mercy and stuff like that. And so, as we look at that context, I'm just saying tonight, we must be aware of these things and realize, you know, you want, as you're reaching people, sometimes they'll disappoint us. And I've had this happen a lot the last six months. Well, Pastor, I can't come back to this church because we're we're taking too hard. You take too hard of a stance on, on, on the Bible. We need to let up on the Bible. Hey, we let up on the Bible, we're not being biblical. so he says, here, they're going to heap themselves t- teachers having itching ears. And, uh, and he says, and they shall turn, their ear, turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I'm just saying tonight, the, 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 the response, response to the, the pastor is, is a pulpit p- ministry. And let, let me just say this tonight. Preparing messages and sermons are not like putting a piece of bread into a toaster and you press a button, it pops up in 30 seconds. It doesn't happen like that, okay? You preach thousands of sermons, and you're doing four or five a week, and your mind's just kind of crossing over, and you do two or three on a Sunday. I mean, there comes a time you just realize you get to a place where just mentally you're just, your, your mind is a little bit toasty there, and you've got to realize you've got to keep your soul fresh and revived, and you've got to do like what Ezekiel 37 speaks about. You've got to realize you've got these dry, dead old bones, and you've got to ask God to breathe life in these dry, dead old bones at the beginning of Mondays there and asking God to do a great work of your heart there. There's the pulpit work, but notice not letter B. There's the people work. Notice what, what, what Solomon said here. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. Look well to thy herds. Pastoring is people work. Go back to chapter, chapter 5. Keep your finger there, but notice 1 first, first Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. That's people work. And are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love for the works. That's people work, okay? After preaching, teaching, there's people. Hey, when people, hey, listen, give invitation. That's people work. The altar is people work. And let, me tell you, let me just say tonight, if God is working in your heart in a sermon, and, and everybody has struggles, please understand, everybody has struggles. And sometimes God may lead the preacher. He doesn't even know what's going on in your life. And God may lead the preacher. He just says something. You thought, man, I felt like a sword got thrust into me. Well, the word of God is a sword. And you feel like, man, I feel like a rock hit me. Well, you know, sometimes the word of God is a hammer. But there are other times the word of God is like honey to our soul. Amen? And we have to understand the reason why biblically we have invitation times is so that we can just be straight up with God. We can be honest with the Lord. It's not for the pastors to well, who raised their hand? What day. You know what? At the end of the God's someone who's taking count. And we're doing ourselves a disservice. If we, if we listen, if we, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we turn off the Holy Spirit of God, you just quench the Spirit of God. You quench them from doing an effective work and you're not going to get that next level in your Christian life. Parents, you need to explain to your children why the altar is important. And parents, if you don't understand why the altar is important, you need to come see me very quickly so we can help you understand biblically the importance of the altar, okay? The importance of using the invitation. Listen, invitation time is holy time. Invitation time is a time where as as a congregation, we must be praying for people who are new to the church, realizing that's a time where they can be transparent. Because listen, if you don't set a good example as a congregation, as a mature congregation of responding to the Spirit of God, how is somebody new in the faith going to learn how to respond to the Spirit of God? Okay, people do what people see. And so it takes a lot of humbling on our part. We'll see something about that in a little bit here. Now, how, now, now, now notice here in, in Proverbs 27, he says, you need to be diligent. And how do you do that? Well, from altar work, from discipleship and Bible studies. We get reports, we're supposed to get reports, from council, from group meetings, from one-on-one meetings, uh, from delegation, from studying the people. From self-reporting, I'm thankful for people who just want to make a, make a call and say, listen, I've got, I got issues going on. I just want to report. Can, can you help me out here? Just, and, you know, I, I don't want to hear all this stuff. I'm not the priest, and I'm not a confession box, but, you know, I'm, I'm just pretty sure people are humble enough to say, you know, I just need to check in just to make sure I'm, I'm on the right path. Am I, am I, do I have a spirit left life? Would you help me with my prayer life? I feel like I just need to know I've been a Christian a long time. You I mean, I mean, this is how we find out from ministry reports and things like that, or you're missing church. I mean, he says, know the state of the flock. And he said, look, well, that hurts. I mean, the, the, the pastoral work, what he's talking about here, it's people work. Notice letter C. It's program work. Now, Matthew 28, 19, 20, you know those verses. You've been around church. But we're to propagate the gospel. Amen? We're, we're to promote missions. Look, he says, go ye therefore. And who's he talking to? He was talking about future pastors. He's talking to future pastors that he trained. 11 apostles there on, on top of that mountain. They were worshiping Jesus. And he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. And he says, go ye. He's talking to those 11 men. There's 11 pastors to be. Go you therefore and teach all nations. There, the emphasis is on the preaching, teaching, ministry. The word teach is where we get our word discipleship from. He says teach all nations. The word nations is where we get our, is the word ethnos. We get our word ethnic from. He says you're to teach everybody. And he says, listen, you need to be local in scope, but you need to be global in scope. You need to take, just envision yourself taking the word of God around the world and make an impact for Jesus Christ there. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And why does he emphasize baptism? Because he says it's not enough just to get them saved. you got to get them in the church. you got to disciple them. You want them to be a part of the church. Listen, the greatest thing you could do after you get saved is join the local New Testament church. Amen. It's a privilege to be part of God's Why? because you're part of the body Christ. You're part of that bride of Christ here. You get to serve the Lord through the local church. You get to participate in the Lord's table. I mean, those are wonderful things. We're, a, and when we talk about programming, we're promoting soul winning and missions and the Great Commission. We're promoting discipleship, reproducing churches, reproducing leaders, and doing the same thing over and over again. Notice Acts chapter 13. In Acts 13, 13 we have prayer, the program of prayer, and the training of laborers for the harvest. So here, we have the cradle of local mission. Here, the cradle for missions. He says, "Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon. That was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I mean, what a what a great church! They had five major pastor teachers, they had five preacher teachers and one primary pastor, which was which was." Um, which was Barnabas. And the Bible says in verse 2, is they ministered to the Lord. And the word minister is not your typical word like diaconos, which means teaching. It's the word that, the word the basis means this, they were working themselves to death. They worked themselves, I mean, they, they stretched themselves thin. They, the Bible says they were ministering to the Lord in verse 2, it says here, and they fasted. They took time away from meals. They wanted to focus on God. They were praying, God, the church in Antioch, you're using it greatly. They were being blessed in their offerings. People were giving. They were being blessed in, in helping, helping other churches stabilize. They helped the church of Jerusalem. They were growing exponentially. Souls were getting saved. They were influencing that area. Listen, at that time, Antioch, uh, Antioch uh, 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 that area, of, that city of Antioch, was the second largest city in the Roman Empire there. And so they were going. They're saying, Lord, how can we have a greater impact? And God puts on their hearts, you're going to have a greater impact by going out of this church. You've got too much salt here. Spread some of the salt out and get, start some more churches. And so as they minister, Lord, the Holy Ghost said, not man said. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul for the work where to have called them. Hey, those were their two best preachers in the church. And God says, Listen, we've got to do something great. We've got three men coming up. They're prepared. He said, They're there. I want you to take these two men. There's a bigger program I've got. And God had already told Saul about that. Now Barnabas gets to be part of that team, and a gospel preaching team is set up. We know the rest is history. All the different churches that Paul started that had a major influence on that first century. There's prayer, there's missions, there's training labors. Look at Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter fourteen, it says, "Confirming the souls of the uh, verse twenty-two, confirming the souls of the disciples, (coughs) exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation into the kingdom of God." And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, what are they doing there? What's part of the program of the church? Strengthening the church. Confirming the souls. Having more preaching, not less preaching. That's what Paul did there. Basically, Paul went there and had a Bible conference with them. Paul went there and had revival meetings. He was encouraged to stay steadfast in the faith. He didn't cut corners with them. He said, Look, you're gonna have we're gonna we're gonna have much tribulation before you enter the kingdom of God. You're gonna have trials. You're going to have difficulties, just be real about that thing. And he says not only that, but notice how Paul matured this church. We go to verse 22, he's confirming the souls of the disciples, he's consorting them to continue the faith. But I like verse 23, they ordained the elders. You know what he was doing there? He spent time there in leadership development. He spent time there examining the men. How serious were these men about the Lord? He looked at these men. Are these men, are they following the faith of the pastor in the church? Are these men men excited about the work, work of God? And he needed to choose novices, which is why as we go from here, we get to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and Paul sets out the criteria of the pastors. He just did not take new novices and put them there. He examined these men and said, Guys, the greatest work and all the work you can do is serving Jesus Christ. And if God puts you in to be a pastor, the Bible says this, If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's so a good word. And we need. let me tell you tonight, man, we need more pastors, not less pastors. Right. We need more churches started. That's why Paul said to Titus, we need to start, he says, ordain elders in every city. Why? Because God given high priority to that. So he's talking here about steadfastness and providing able spiritual leadership. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 5. He said, as far as the program of the church, he says, watch down all things. Be vigilant. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was not an evangelist, but you need to do the work of an evangelist. You need to keep—he was—he was kind of—he was kind of lagging back a little bit there in terms of winning souls and missions. He said, "Hey, you got to do the work of an evangelist." He, may, he said, "Make soul winning and, and evangelistic preaching the, the primary emphasis." He said, "Make full pull for thy ministry." You know what he's saying there, the programs of the church keep the fire going, start new ministries. Get people excited about joining new ministries. Sustain current ministries. Do the work cast in casting vision. Hey, listen, thank God tonight, as we look at some of these things, there's the pulpit ministry. There's the people ministry. There's the program ministry. But you notice there's a personal ministry. Responsibilities include personal work as well. What kind of personal work? The pastor's own personal life. Look what he says here. Acts 20, 28, first thing Paul said to the elders of Ephesus, take heed thereof unto yourselves. Now, guys, you want to help your pastor? Pastors need time for their own personal lives. You can get away walking with God 30 minutes a day. If you're going to be in the ministry, that ain't going to cut it. Pastors need to work on their prayer time. Pastors need time where the word of God is like going to a surgery. They need God to meticulously work in their hearts in a way that perhaps he's not going to work on you. He's got to work on the pastor before he works on you. And so he told these men at Ephesus, he said, take heed therefore unto yourselves. Notice 1 Timothy 4 verses 14 to 16. He told Timothy, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbyters." Interesting, twice he says, Neglect not the gift that's in you. He said, Timothy, you've got to keep preaching. And he said in verse 15, Meditate upon these things give thyself wholly to them that thy prophecy may appear to all take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine continue in them for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee what's he saying there he said the work of the responsive pastor is a person where he has to take care of his own soul he's got to be real about himself he has to realize where he's got to take some time aside to walk with God it may be more time than usual he has to realize that sometimes he may need to pull away for a period of time to let God work in his heart I mean there's a the personal work that God tries to do I'm thankful for our men in the church who are sensitive to that and real sometimes every now and then that i need to take a little bit more extra time for that and where i need to get a walk get get away a little bit for to work with walk with god and get some things from god where i don't have and i have a walk with god but i'm saying today there's some things you have to do more of and nobody should be more conscious of perhaps his failures his faults his weaknesses his inadequacies his insufficiency than the pastor himself because he must realize as he stands before that congregation he has to give an account for every single soul that's there And so tonight we see the role, we see the responsibility. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 and we're done tonight. I want you to see the recognition. We circle back to 1 Thessalonians 5, notice verses 12 to 13. I'm going to give you some words and we're going to be done tonight. Now we're talking about the end result. How does does the pastor of the church and and the congregation have a great symbiotic relationship? How do you make it work? How how do you have peace among yourselves? How do you do what he says in verse 12? He says, we beseech you, brethren. By the way, when you read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, wherever you see the word brethren, that's a breaking point for a new thought that Paul's giving us there, a new emphasis. He says, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And esteem them very highly. What what does this all mean? Well, let me give you some thoughts this, this evening. Letter A, replicate. Replicate. That means to imitate. Notice Hebrews 13, 7. Are you there? There's three words I want you to follow in the the English translation there. It says, remember them which have the rule over you. The word rule is the same concept we read in verses 12 and 13, 1 Thessalonians 5. Those who are over you. Uh, Those who are, uh, it talks about, uh, it talks about those who who labor among you. He says, remember them who have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Notice this next phrase, whose faith follow now the Bible saying there that for a congregation healthy and a holy congregation to follow the faith of their pastor. Now, thank God tonight I can name many, many areas where the church is following the faith of their pastor. Thank you for following your pastor's faith and getting these buildings up and raising the offering. Thank you for following your your pastor's faith. Those of you who are able to to give that extra time on Saturday mornings and outside of Saturday mornings for helping us to win souls for Christ or taking time outside of church, uh, outside of maybe organized times of reaching people with the gospel. Thank you for following the faith of your, your pastor and trying to execute the work of the ministry in different ways. But he says whose faith Follow. He told the pastors in 1 Peter five three, being examples to the flock. So we're to replicate. Letter B, we're to respect. He says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them. Have a thorough concept, understanding what are their needs, what are their burdens. Know them which labor among you. The word labor is a very strong word. He's talking about. He's talking about that work to the point where they're 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 they're, they're, they're uh, to the point of exhaustion. With toil or burdens or grief, they labor with wearisome effort and toil, bodily labor. He says, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He says, he says, you, and then he says, and esteem them. Here's the phrase, verse 13, esteem them very highly in love for the works. Sake. You know, let me just say this tonight. Maybe you come from a church model where the pastor failed. And I'm sorry about that. But let me tell you this tonight. The office of the pastor, biblical office of pastor has never failed. It's never failed. And he says, esteem them very highly. Because I understand there are pastors who are authoritarian, not authoritative. I realize there are pastors who are building their empires and not building the work of God. I, 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 there are pastors who pray on the congregation instead of building up the congregation. I understand that it goes on there. And that's, that's unfortunate that happens there. But he's saying here for those who are trying to be in the biblical model and trying to keep, keep everything straight there, he says to have respect unto them. The word rule that we find here in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, uh, the, word that, the word for rule that, or over you has the idea of, of being a protector, guarding, a superintendent. Respect your pastor. Let me take you to verse. Go with me to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I'm helping you tonight because there may become a day I'm not going to be here. You're going to have another pastor one day you better follow these rules or your church, you're going to lose your church. Do you hear what I said? Yes, sir. Amen? Yes, amen? You'll lose your church. Amen. And you're going to stand before God that you're the one who ruined the church. I would die to self if I were you, if you've got this diatrophies type of spirit there. And notice what he says here. Paul goes through all of the relationships in the church. Would you notice verses 1 and 2? rebuke not an elder I, I average and i'm not i'm not plotting myself on the back and i'm not i'm not proud of it and i'm not saying that i'm perfect or anything like that don't don't get me wrong but i don't average a week i mean i have a week every week goes by. i have somebody that comes up and gets in my face and has something very negative or very undermining or very derogative that so says it's been from day one i'm thankful god prepared me for that because i, I just kind of walk off and I don't I don't go home with a hurt conscience or anything like that. I'm grieved but I don't go home with a hurt conscience. But do what he says in chapter five verse one, rebuke not an elder. The man was in our church one time many years ago and he just had a he had a very maverick spirit about things and I tried to help him and he went to another city and he felt he had a he felt he, he felt he had this, this this evangelistic fervor about things, and he went to a city where another pastor is a friend of my very good friend of mine. In fact, I just saw him when I was on vacation several weeks ago, was a good friend of mine. And uh, that pastor friend of mine called me up. He says, "Hey, this guy from your church." I said, "Oh man, what happened?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know, he just did this thing here," and so he he got he got really and he, and he did this to me too. And he he got very testy with this pastor friend. This pastor friend of mine is a very meek man. He's an incredibly meek man. And he just said some things that weren't right. And, and my, my friend, I was surprised. He said, oh, Pastor Fong, he said, I got to tell you this. He did that to me. He said, he called him by name. He said, sir, rebuke not an elder. Let me tell you tonight, it is, you are out of your place to rebuke your pastor. You're out of your place. Now, if I'm in sin, that's a different story. Yeah. If I preach wrong doctrine, that's a different story. I'm telling you right here, he says, rebuke not an elder. He says, but treat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. Now, don't get this goofy idea that we're we're everybody, we're, we're, you know, we've got our arms around anybody. He says, you treat the younger men as brothers. And he says, the elder women as mothers. The younger is sisters with all purity. What's he talking about there? Well, these churches, because there were pagans that got saved, came to the church. He says, you've got to have the right perspective about your relationship. I'm saying tonight, number one, there must be respect. Number two, there must be, rep- we must replicate. Notice letter C, we must remember. That's what he's talking about in verses 12 and 13 of our passage tonight. And I've given you other references there, but we must remember. He talks about pastors who labor in the word and in doctrine. He says here, remember them. In Christ-like respect, he says, know them which labor among you, okay? Hey, you know, it's not just for the pastor to get to know you. As the church continues to grow, we try to break the church down to smaller sizes get to know people. It is your response to bring people to get to know the pastor. That's why I encourage everyone. When you bring a guest to church, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be Mr. Somebody in their life. I want to know who they are. I want to know that 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 everybody needs to have a church and everybody needs to have a pastor. Okay? When you go somewhere with me, I tell everybody I go to. I said, Listen, I want to earn the privilege to be your pastor. Why? I want them part of it. Don't you want people to be part of Heritage Baptist Church? Amen? Don't you want your friends to be part of the church i mean If you're not part of your church, then it's not the church's fault. It's your fault. You ought to be thankful. and I want to. I want to bring them. I want to meet my pastor. I want to know that you know we. This is this is a great place. I want to know I want to see our buildings. I want to see what God's doing here. I want to see our nurseries. I want to see that God's blessing the church here. I want to meet your friends. I want to meet your family members. I mean, that's how we get to know them. But he says, but he says here, know them, which labor among you. Take care of them. Pray for them. Be available to them. Remember them that rule over you. I mean, if you do anything else, people ask me that, I had several times this week. What can I do for you? Pray for me. Pray for me. You think you got fiery darts at you? I got several more. And then notice we must be resigned. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Now what's he saying there? Well, as members, and pastors are members of the church too, as members we must strive for a harmonious relationship in the church. Hebrews 13, would you go back there with me please? Look at verses 17 24. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, that they that must give account, for that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Hey, don't make the work of your pastor grievous. Listen, one day I'm not here. You've got a new guy. He's not going to be the same as me. And you're going to find out some things. Everything in the first six months, you'll be on a honeymoon. Everything's a great. And after the, by the seventh month, you're going to realize this guy's got all kinds of problems. Amen? You're thinking the first six months this guy walked on water and all these things. You find the seventh month he does he's not as good as he thought he, that you thought he was, and you get upset about something he said or something he did or his wife did something. And you're going to get upset if you're not very careful. You're going to make his ministry grievous. Now if he's living for God and walking in the Spirit and trying to serve God and trying to advance the cause of Christ and winning souls and plant churches and things like that, then you need to support that. But if he's doing, but if, when he stays on that and you make his life grievous, you're outside the will of God. And he says that he says is unprofitable for you. He says be, be a peace among yourselves. Then he said in verse 24, salute them that have the rule over you and all the saints. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, in the, church, the believers he's writing to in Hebrews and 1 Thessalonians, they had pastors. And these believers were at the place. You study the context. You read it for yourself. The context of what's going on there. These believers were battered and they were hurting because of persecutions, because of wrong doctrine, all these other things going on there. And so Paul, as he's writing these epistles, he's reminding them that how the order, the, the order of leadership follows in the church. And he's saying to them here, he says, now look, at guys, he says, uh, I know you love each other, and, I, and I've written, and he's, chapter 13 is a great chapter of Hebrews. He's continuing brotherly love, things like that. But he says to salute them, that have the rule over you. Don't walk past, don't be rude and walk past your pastor and don't shake his hand. And don't teach your children that. Listen, teach your children good manners to shake hands with anybody who's older than them. Teach your children to have modesty and respectfulness. Teach them that. Listen, they're not getting it in school. Not getting it in public school, so I promise you that. They're not getting it in society out there. In fact, with all this stuff, with, with all these different people kneeling at the, they're, take, they're bending the knee to the flag and all these, they're not learning respect. And I'm going to get off on the political agenda. I'm just saying today, there's, there's very little respect. You look at all the junk that's being said. They may not agree with everything that's going on with our president or our Congress or whatever's there. But the stuff that gets said is, is past. It's not even, it's just totally disrespectful. And that carries over into the church. We have that kind of stuff in the church. God is not honored by that. And by the way, God writes Ichabod on every church just like that there. The glory's not there. And he says, salute them. They have the rule over you. Look at chapter 5 of 1 Peter. We're done. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 4, he talks to pastors. He's, these were battered pastors. They had to get back on the focus. They had to get back to verse 1, winning souls. Verse 2 and 3 of um, feeding the flock and taking the oversight thereof and being a good example and serving, serving God's people, not for the money but out of a good heart. Then he gets to verse 5. He says, now he shifts the conversation there. He shifts the emphasis. He says, now, I've talked to pastors. I need to talk to the congregation. That's what, that's what we're doing in 1 Thessalonians 5. And He says to the congregation in verse, 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger... Submit yourselves unto the elder. Now the elder is not just talking about older believers. He's talking about the pastors. He's talking about the maturity of the officer. Go back and look up the word. It's the word presbyteros. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed in humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace humble. Listen tonight. There's no place in the church of God for a bunch of proud spirits. We're all a bunch of sinners just serving our Lord. Amen. And we must have a spirit of humility realizing it's a joy to serve Jesus Christ. And whether we have a title or not, and as I told the staff, I beat up on the staff the other day, I said, listen, we're not here, listen, if you're going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, you're not here for the title. If you're here for a title, you're carnal. you're wrong with God. Because the Bible says in James 3, 1, my brethren, be not many masters, for we shall receive the greater condemnation. Amen. You have to have a title, you're not, you're in the wrong place. The only title we need to have is that we're a son of God, Amen. We have his forgiveness, his mercy, his love upon us. And we should roll up our sleeves and with enthusiasm and vigor as if Jesus could come at any moment. He could come at any moment. Let's serve the Lord with all our heart. Let's let the joy of the Lord overflow our cup. And let's honor Christ. And let's bring boys and girls to church and teenagers to church. And let's get college students saved. And let's get, let's get the people of Bay Area to Christ. And let's win the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, the gospel still works. Amen. Yeah. So tonight we have shepherds and sheep. what a great, what a great relationship. What a great union when shepherds and sheep can labor together, doing the work of God, being in the will of God, and reaching people with the gospel. Don't waste the summer. Let's work together in reaching people for Christ and doing all that we can. Christ can be glorified.